If I wanted to measure my success as a grouse hunter based on the birds that we kill, I would definitely say I'm going to shoot more with my labs. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of Dog One Podcast. Uh, this first one of 2023. So, uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you guys. I know it's a, it feels like it was a long time ago, but really wasn't that long ago. With New Year's, I think it's, um, it's a time of year that's interesting. Interesting to me, anyway. Um, for some people, I think it's real motivating and inspiring. For some people, it's maybe a little depressing. Um, I'm always mixed emotions this time of year as hunting season kind of goes out. I do feel like I, I find myself in a little bit of a funk. I, I do think a little bit of depression probably happens. And I, I use that word probably a little carefully. Um, but in all honesty, I think it probably does happen. I think, uh, um, I get really bummed. And so you know, it's a, it's something that you, you wait all year for. You feel like you work all year for. And I know there's other things that are much more important, obviously, in life. But um, for me, hunting is one of those things that is just, it, it's real motivating. And it's it's real satisfying. And so to see it go away and not not be here for another nine months or so is is, is hard, to, hard pill to swallow at times. But... Um, that's okay, you know, and for other people, sometimes holidays can be a tough time of year for various reasons. We went through a really challenging, personally, we went through a really challenging year, um, which kind of started last year around the holidays. And, and so I'm excited about 2023 for a lot of reasons. I'm also coming off of what I felt was a really tough year. Um, and, and I don't say that to be... Um, to ask for anybody's pity or by any means. Um, we had a fantastic year in a lot of ways. Um, business was really strong. Um, I had a lot of great things happen with friends and family. Um, but we had, I've had some, some tough times too. And so, um, and still, still dealing with some. So, you know, I, I, I say that because that's life and that's the reality of it. And it's not to, I can't feel sorry for myself or bad for myself, and I also have to remember you can't um, you can't pretend that nothing's wrong either. So I want to remind folks out there that we're all struggle. We all have our struggles. We're all going through it, um, myself included. So I am I am looking forward to this new year because I want it to be better than the last year, and I think that that's probably something that we can we can work towards. Um, every year, but especially for me this year. So I've, and I've got some exciting things that I have, um, kind of in the works have been in the works. Some of it you'll find out sooner than later. Some of it will be over the course of hopefully the next 12 months. Like that's the thing that's interesting is as we develop stuff as a small business, especially, um, some of our stuff is, is relatively slow to develop and that's for a variety of reasons. But, uh, you'll find out more about that as, as kind of the year goes on and I'm kind of excited about a lot of it, actually. So, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. We'll get into this. I've had several topics that I've wanted to talk about podcast-wise. Um, some of them are late. Some of them, we had this great idea of, you know, early December. There was every year, we did it last year, and we were going to do it again this year. We were going to try to get it out before Christmas, and it didn't happen, and that's okay. Um, I still kind of plan on doing it. But there are a few things that I used this last year that I really liked, and, and I want to share it. Like there's zero commitment to any of these companies or brands. Like I don't, I don't work with any of them. I don't, I don't work with anybody intentionally because I don't want to ever feel obligated to, to say good, bad, or indifferent. So, but I do think that there, when I run into stuff that I really like, when I run into stuff I really don't like, I probably am not going to come on the podcast and talk about it. It's just, I don't, I don't think it's my place to do that. But when I, when I find stuff I really do like, I want to share it with you. There was a couple things that stood out to me this year that were new, and I'll I'll look forward to sharing that with you. We're not going to do that today, but um, I got a great question here, and I'll lead it off with an apology for the questions that I have been getting and not been able to get to. 
there's there's plenty of those and I'm the guys and I have been talking about it and we're working on a project right now that I think will be a way to help with that um, make it more easily accessible for direct questions to me social media is a great way and I do my best with it but it's just overwhelming and and not there's just there's just too great a volume and I can't I can't put that the time into it to properly respond to it. So it doesn't mean that I'm not going to at all. It means I'm, I'm going to do my best. And, and like this is an email question today that I'm going to talk about. It was a great question. It came recently. I've got, I don't even know how many emails saved right now for responses that I need to get back on. I think the last time we looked on Instagram, it was, it was a lot. And so I'm still, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not deleting any of them. I'm, my goal or my objective is to at some point get caught back up, but I'm doing the best I can. This one is a really good question. It's a little bit more meat. So um, the guy's name is Bruce. I'm going to respond back to Bruce with a, with an uh, email that says, you know, this has been turned into a podcast, but so let's get into it. It's, it's interesting. I thought says, hi, Jeremy. Happy New Year. I've been introduced to your video series, and I really like your approach. Thanks for putting it out there. A quick backstory. I owned a train. I owned and trained an English setter in the mid-80s, but really struggled to finish him. He was, in my opinion, too hot and a big running dog for my taste. And I caught the bull hunting bug at the same time and wasn't dedicating as much time to the dog after year three. That's on me. About 10 years ago, I adopted slash inherited a five-year-old yellow lab of unimpressive breeding with almost zero training. I worked long and hard with that dog on basic obedience and manners and turned him into a respectable companion and family dog. I was just starting to get him into the field when he developed cancer and we lost him in 2016 at age nine. I am grouse hunting a lot these days, far more than I bow hunt, and I would like another dog in one to two years. I'm in northern New England, Vermont, and mostly hunting 10-year-old cuts in alder swamps, etc., similar to the cover you guys have without the aspen. We're pretty conscientious and spend a crazy amount of time looking for birds that we might have hit. You know what it's like early and mid-season in the thick stuff with snap shooting, etc. My three-part question is this. On average, this is number one, on average, and understanding that breeding is a huge factor, do you think the average tr- Joe trainer, such as myself, has a higher chance of finishing a flushing lab or a pointing breed? I only have two dogs from which to form an opinion. And the setter was a handful and the lab was a joy. I just neglected his first four years. Question number two. I really enjoy watching a dog work closely. And solid retrieve gets me incredibly pumped. Am I crazy to be potentially passing over a pointing breed for a grouse dog? Some people say yes. Number three, a dog is a 10 to 15 year proposition. I will likely have only one to two in my remaining lifetime. He's 58 years old. There are so many breeders out there, it's overwhelming. They all think their dogs are the best, regardless of what you say your needs or expectations are. My guess is that as a trainer, you have, a very, you have to be very careful offering recommendations on breeders. I get that. But how about a directional nudge? Just like field lines versus show lines, is there such a thing that upland lines versus waterfall lines? Or is that more in the training focus? Thanks so much for taking the time to read this, Bruce. So there's a lot there and a lot of good stuff. And And some of the reason I picked this is because it's way too much for me to email back. It would take me too long. Uh, The second reason is a lot of this stuff is kind of fresh on my mind and so um and and somewhat connected and related to some of the things that i'm going to talk about over the course of the next 12 months as we bring some thing bring some newer things on um and share that with you but let's start let's tackle this from the beginning now there's a lot of variables in here so my, my answer is going to be definitely not black and white but so Part one of his question, on average, the understanding of breeding is a huge factor. Do you think that the average Joe trainer, such as myself, has a higher chance of, quote unquote, finishing a flushing lab or pointing breed? Well, first, right off the bat, I think this is so relative to expectations. And I think that the word finishing 
it, and he, he used it twice and he used it in quotations. Um, he used it twice throughout this email. That's a real subjective thing. What is finished to you? What is finished to me? They could be completely different things. Quite honestly, I don't know that I ever, in, in you can listen back. What Part of the conversation today is you're going to hear me talk about some of the changes over the last 5, 10, 15 years probably in, in, is how I probably can break this down. Um, I just recently wrote a Gundog article that I had to do the math on it. And, you know, my first Labrador that I bought was in college. It would have been in the year 2000. So that was the first one I got. Now, we had retrievers prior to that. I probably had four or five, maybe four golden retrievers prior to that. Four or five. Um, because we didn't get dogs until later when I was a kid. I had a Dalmatian before that. And that was like the biggest disaster ever. So my experience what I, where I start to like draw on information today, really, I suppose you could say it had something to do with some of those golden retrievers. But those were family dogs that we hunted with. They were great dogs. But... Great is a relative term. They were great for us. The lab I bought in 2000 was the first one I really committed to training. And the first one that I could say really turned out really well. I mean, she's been gone now for, oh, she was 13. So she's been gone now for about nine years. Um, great dog. Like, just, just really, I credit her a lot with everything afterwards when it comes to me and dogs but so she was great she was never finished i've trained a lot of dogs since then worked with way more dogs since then and when i say trained i mean like my dogs had them trained them um, or had them trained them for clients there's been a bunch of them not nearly as many as um like, I, I think it's interesting when, when I hear people discuss how many dogs. I just read, I, I, I research trainers all the time. I research training all the time. I'm trying to learn a lot about these setters myself right now. So I've subscribed to several training tools that are like online things. And um, I, that's part of what, I, what, what I'll be talking about more in, as the year goes on. But I've... I, watched, I looked at one last night, and I think it, it was a very bold statement. I think the individual said they've trained 4,400 dogs and 3,500 trainers or something like that. And I thought, man, that's an awful lot. Like if I divided out the days. I, I, so I look at that, and I go, it's a really bold statement. And I think it comes back to this guy saying, you know, when he talks about breeders, he says, they all think their dogs are the best, regardless of what your needs or expectations are. Well, it's a big mark. It's a very big marketing effort, not in a bad way. I, I say that, and I don't mean it to sound negative. It could sound negative, like, and I've just gotten reading a book about a um, a very famous um, breeder trainer, and again, I'll talk more about it as this year goes on. But it's one that I just finished reading. And I would say the number one thing that I hear about, the guy's dead. He's been dead for years. I mean, I'm real fascinated by him. I'm going to be digging into him way more. Uh, it's part of an article, that I'm, a series that I'm writing for Gundog this year. But that, that number one thing I hear about him is he was a marketer. He was a, and and it's, it's not in the best way. Like when people say it today, it's typically, I don't think, meant in the best way. Now, I look at it and I go... And, I, and this is what I'm trying to dig into is, yes, I would agree. But you know what? Marketing isn't bad. Like there's a difference between marketing and having a good product and marketing and having a crappy product. Like that's when it be, can become deceptive, I think. And so just because you're a good marketer doesn't mean you're not good. Like doesn't mean your stuff isn't good. So when it comes to this idea of me personally with my dogs and the dogs I've trained, I've trained nowhere near as many dogs as some will will market themselves as training. And is experience important? Yes, I think it is. But like for myself, I feel like the number of dogs that I've worked with have really taught me a lot and helped me to understand two things. There's like, I look at it two different ways. Workshops, for instance. I could say I've worked, you know, in theory, I've worked with 
a lot of this is our I think this was our 11th year of doing workshops average probably 45 people a year so I don't know that comes to 500 and some people 600 people maybe in the last 10 years so for me that's a lot of dogs it's a lot of opportunity to see a lot of different dogs of varying styles of the dogs I've actually trained that I consider like my dogs that I've trained for myself or for clients they're all they've all been pretty similar um they've changed over the years like pretty dramatically i think and so in 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 improved way they've gotten better the dogs themselves have which have i gotten better as a trainer yes have the dogs gotten better yes when you combine those two things together the results are obvious they're better they're much better not yet would i say any of them are finished so I'm circling back to this question and going, I don't know what your idea of a trainer as yourself have a higher chance of finishing, quote unquote, a, a flushing lab or pointing breed. I, I can't answer that. So buzzkill on answer number one. I can't give you a very good answer. What I can say is my opinion because now I've trained one setter. So I've got, I've got all the experience I need to talk about setters. And I say that laughing because it is kind of laughable. But I'm not an idiot, and I learned a lot with the first year of this dog. I lit today, literally, it's January 2nd. One year ago today, I picked her up. One year I've had her in my life, and boy, have I learned a lot. And I've learned a lot from her, but I've also learned a lot from her uncle, who's a friend of mine's, owns her uncle. Her, I don't know if they're, somewhere in the long, along the lines, they're probably distant cousins, but my two friends, Todd and Chris, have litter mates out of, pup, out of uh, the same kennel, out of um, Jerry and Betsy's Northwoods bird dogs. They're similar. Uh, I've, I've met several friends over the years, over this last year, that have lots of their dogs, lots of experience with their dogs. A buddy of mine named Chris, he has another buddy of mine named Chris, he has... I, at his place, at his at his camp, my buddy Todd, who owns one of their dogs, went in and there was like 11 of them, all Northwoods bird dogs. Very distinct style of dog, by the way. Like it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty um, replicated dog. Like they're they're similar. There's a lot of similarities. Now there's differences, no question about it. There's differences. Just like my th my three labs that are in the house right now, I'm going to be going to Kansas to pick one up. That another story, but I'm going to be going to pick one up later this week. Blue just went home. That was our fourth one, uh, an Ellie puppy. Um, they're all very similar, but they're not all the same. So they they just as close as they are. There's there's real differences when you dig into them. So I don't think you can answer this question in, in anywhere close to being black and white. But what I can say is this, you have an average Joe trainer such as yourself have a higher chance of finishing a flushing lab or a pointing breed. It's 100% predicated by you. That's the, that's the answer. Like it's not, you're, you don't have a better chance with one breed or another, in my opinion. It completely depends on what you put into it. Now, there's lots of variables that are within those dogs because it's not a breed thing. If you take if you take one lab out of this litter X and you take one lab out of this litter Y and one letter out, one pup out of this litter W, there's three different labs there. And they could one of them could be great for you and the other two would not be a real struggle bus. Same could be said about the setter or the pointing breed, whatever pointing breed you are looking at. It's so, it, it just, it, you can't group it into the breeds. The styles are, the styles are similar, but different. So for me, I look at like my, my personal experience with this setter for the first year. And I, uh, some, some of the people I've met over this year, as I've gotten more and more into trying to, to learn about this breed specific, this style of training, all this stuff. I have found that the tr there is more, probably a higher rate of success from folks that I just don't consider to be dog trainers. And it, it's admittedly, I'm not saying this to be um, deceptive behind their back or talk 
talking shit about it at all. They're not dog trainers. They're hunters. They're, they can handle a dog to a degree, but they're, you know, handling a dog well is different, but they, they can take the dog hunting effectively. I think that if it's just hunting you're talking about, the pointing breed, setters is the experience I have myself, probably has a better chance of success to having satisfaction with the owner than I think the Labrador. And the reason I say that is because the hunt part of it, and I'm just talking hunt right now, the hunt part of it on these setters is really natural. Now I can only speak for one year experience because I've got one year's experience. And I've got a dog that is not steady to the wing and shot. Now that's on my list. That's on my that's on my thing for next year, for this coming year. But so I can't speak to that right now. But I can say that most people, and I hunted with quite a few people this last year, would be really, really pleased if their dog did what Makina did this year. Like, and I'm not saying it in their first year. I'm just saying like in general. They she's very huntable right now. You can take her hunting. She's gonna point. She's gonna find birds. She's going to hold them pretty good. Uh, you're going to be able to flush them. She's going to break on that. But it, it's it's ver- she's real huntable right now. She needs a ton more work, but she's real huntable. And I think for most people, because of the amount of... Now, the reason she's, I think, partly... It, it's very heavily genetic, but it's also because she's been given a lot of opportunities. I really believe that. It's not quite so simple, I think, with the Labrador. Like my buddy Todd, who has one of those setters, he bought blue from me. So Blue is a puppy that was two months younger than Makina. He's about 10 and a half months right now. He might be coming up on 11 months. January 28th. Yeah, he's 11 months. So his birthday is January 28th. He'll turn a year. He just went home. Blue just went home with Todd. And Blue is probably one of the, one of the, I would say he's one of the nicest dogs I've trained in 22 years. Um, just, just fantastic attitude. Matured really well. Um, supernatural and all the things that are very important to me has a beautiful retrieve natural delivery um, he's the first dog guys I'm going to put this out there because this is another topic that I'm going to be digging into a lot deeper is he's the first dog that I never I don't know that he'll ever have to be hold conditioned now he'll probably jinx me on that and Todd will come up with with an issue with him and we'll talk about it but to this point he's the first dog I've ever handed off to anybody ever or would have kept myself and had and said, I think I could maybe get away without ever doing any hold conditioning. I think it's for two reasons. I think it's his genetics. He was just such a natural retrieving and delivering dog. And it was also because of, he had a really good head on his shoulders. He was a very intelligent dog. And when you combine that with early introduction proper to delivery, and encouragement and reinforcement without pressure, no pressure. Just when I say reinforcement, I mean like if he brought the dummy back to me that it was off center in his mouth, I would center it back up in his mouth, put it back in his mouth and have him hold it for a little bit. And so it, all these, the slightest issues that potentially were there were corrected in the course of training from day, from retrieve one. He retrieved very little. Um, minimal retrieves. I sent him home last week and I ran him on a, on a hundred yard, maybe a little bit more than a hundred yard blind. He's not even on the whistle yet. I don't even have the dog on the whistle. I never would run blinds with the dog unless I have him on the whistle pretty well and handling a bit. I don't even I didn't even have that. I sent him on these blinds because he ran, he runs such a nice line. He just really holds the line really well. He's, oh man, I can't, I'll go, I, I could talk all day about him. Really very nice dog. But probably the least amount of work I've put into a dog in 10 months. Because I had him about 10 months of training. Literally very little work put into him. Combination of great genetics, what I feel are great genetics fitting my style of training and hunting. There's the important part. He was the right fit for me in what I do with him. And the results were incredible. 
Makina is the setter is proving to be, I think, a very good fit for a person like me. I've not had to put her on on a lot of pressure. Uh, no collar. You know, I'm not going to train her with a collar. I'm not going to train her with an e-collar. We're running GPS on her this year. Took the, I bought it. I bought it with the capabilities of being a shock collar and took the prongs off of it, partially on accident. But I'll share that. And I might have shared that already, but if not, I will be sharing it. But so she is fitting in. Now, I have not put much pressure on her. I've let her do what she does naturally. And she's also very, I think, a real intelligent dog. And she's very warm. And she's got a great personality. And she wants to be with me. And we've probably done a pretty nice job with some of the early foundation stuff. Her place training is excellent. She's laying behind me sleeping right now. Her culture has been really good. She's been raised in a quiet house um, with dogs that are patient and calm and quiet. And they just have to be. It's just how we do things with them. She's, she's chameleoned her way right into that. So... Is it the dog? Yes. Is it the environment? Yes. Is it when the two combine equal, that's where you get really good results? I think so. So my back to your answer, number one, do I think the average Joe trainer such as yourself has a higher chance of finishing a flushing lab or a pointing breed? It will all depend on you and it will all depend on the puppy. So there, it, it, it could be either or, Bruce. It could be either or. That is going to lead into some of these answers for number two and number three. So number two, your question is, I really enjoy watching the dog work closely and a solid retrieve gets me incredibly pumped. Am I crazy to be potentially passing over pointing breeds for a grouse dog? Some people say yes. This is 100% back to you, Bruce. What do you want to hunt over? If you if you like working if you really enjoy watching dogs work close and you like the idea of solid retrieve like it's it's the idea of round hole get a round peg don't put a square peg in a round hole those are hard to fit can you do it yeah but it's not as easy it's not as natural now can you get a can you get a setter or a pointing breed that works close you sure can um I, I've hunted over them. I've hunted over some that hardly point. They they really are kind of more of a flusher. But some people love that. Some people want their dog to go bigger. I, I probably, <clears throat> I'm probably not the right guy to ask yet. I think ask me in three years and I'll probably have a better answer for you. But right now, when I first got Makina, I wanted a closer working dog. Now, what is close? That's quote-unquote finished. I mean, it's the same thing. Close for some is different than others. So range is a tough one. I first thought I wanted a dog that I never... I wanted to see... I like watching the dogs work too. I don't disagree with you there. I wanted a dog that I could see, which made me feel like I needed a 50-yard dog max. Now, I can't shoot 50 yards, so my flushing dogs better not be out 50. They're not. They're probably a 20 to 25 in the right conditions, they might get out to 25. But they're they're not working out much further than that. And that's perfect for me because it's very easy to see, read their body language, understand their birdiness, and shoot the birds when they flush. I don't think they have a tendency to nearly push the birds out as they would if they were getting out further. They, we let's be, Let me put it this way. I had buddies up at my cabin this last year that we hunted these setters quite often, as much as we could. We also ran the flushing dogs. And we killed way more birds with flushing dogs. Like if, if, if you measured this last year for us, now partially it's because we have young dogs, I think, with our setters. Our setters are young and inexperienced, and so are we. So will we get better? Yes. But I think what has to, this is, this is back to this selectiveness or choice from the hunter standpoint, from you as the owner and the handler standpoint. We, if we wanted to measure, if I wanted to measure my success as a grouse hunter, based on the birds that we kill, I would definitely say I'm going to shoot more with my labs. Proof this season, if you look at our log, you'll see I had guys that came up and um, we weren't all going to hunt together in a group. So we split up and they didn't have dogs. So they took they took um, Spry, who uh, if I'm going to pick an upland dog out of my group, this goes back to your question. 
another one of your questions that we'll talk about. But of my group of three, Spry, Ellie, Taylor. Spry is the dog that I'm taking if I want to kill birds to quarter. It, she's she's an she's an absolute machine. She's a, she works like a cocker, and she's fantastic. Now, if I want to take a dog, now I hunt I hunt in the labs with my setter all year long, trained with them and hunted with them. And if I want to do that, Spry is probably my least favorite to do that with because it kills her to not go out, go out and flush. It kills her to not quarter. And she, if there's a dog that's going to break, it's her If on a shot. Like if I shoot and if you watch some of the videos of our, our hunts, the only dog that breaks is Spry. And she doesn't do it all the time, but she'll do it. And it's frustrating to me and whatever. But that's that's me. That's my that's my lack of that's my lack of consistency in training with her. And quite honestly, it's also my realization that I don't need I, I don't need to necessarily get on her about it. She's she much prefers the quarter and cast. I'll hunt her in those situations. So anyway, she she was a all star for us as far as numbers. Finding birds, flushing birds, killing birds. So I think that with the idea of if you want a close working dog, she's my pick. Like if you want to see the dog work and find birds, she's the one that I would take. Now I thought I wanted that with my setter because I wanted, I do enjoy that part of it. And when I got her, I, when I got Makina, that's what I thought I wanted until I started hunting with her a little bit more. And until I started hunting with other people that had good ones. And then I realized I do not want to see her all the time. It's frustrating to see her all the time because if I want to see her all the time, I have to go into all the best spots because she's not going to move far enough away from me if I'm not in the prime, prime spots. We're not finding those birds. So I wanted, I realized quickly the efficiency of a good setter. Cover a lot of area. Cover cover like the prime spots, like they're, they're, that becomes a focus of theirs. So they go and they seek out these better areas that are more likely to hold birds. Are they hunting their way there? Yes, I, I, I mean, for sure. But as they start to, and she's not that good at it yet. So don't get me wrong. Like this is, she's, I don't have this finished quote unquote setter. I have a dog that's learning a lot, but I've watched some of these dogs and they, that's what they're, that's what they're really made for. They're, they're made to be a sweeper. I feel like they sweep a woods. I can take them into a big chunk, bigger chunk of woods. And instead of me having to walk all of the good stuff, I cut them loose and I walk what I find to be the more comfortable walking. Like I stay on trails a little bit more with her with the idea of she's going to get off of them and go find the bird for me. The bell made all the difference for me because there is something romantic about the bell. There is no doubt about that. I, I love the sound of it. I love following it. I love understanding it like its cadence. I can 100% tell when she is or isn't serious about stuff. I can tell when she's running back to me. I can tell when she's listening for me. I can. You just become, if you allow yourself to become into it, you will pick up on that. I really believe that. It's why I don't, and I bought like the most simple GPS system available. It doesn't have a map. It's really plain Jane. It's small. It's a little challenging to see easily. I... I, I went I, I was thinking about getting a watch that would have it because it'd be convenient. I went away from that. I still might do it. I'm actually thinking about it because I do think it's real functional for when you're approaching a dog on point. But that's a different story. Another thing that I was going to talk about in another podcast. But I don't use the GPS. I don't rely on it, I should say. And I've become very conscious of don't let it be a crutch. Work that bell, work that bell, work that bell. Understand that bell. And so I think that that is my way of staying in touch with an older, quote-unquote, fashion, older fashion way, um, traditional way, um, 100% my, my preferred way. And so if I see her all the time, I don't need the bell because I can keep my eyes on her. I want to see her probably... I probably want to see her 30 to 40% of the time max. 
and that's probably pushing it. Maybe it's closer to 20 or 30%, to be honest with you. I see her more often right now than I want to, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm working on watching her become a little bit more independent and a little bit bigger running. And, and I would say on average right now, she runs in that, she runs in that area of 50 yards more often than not, and maybe out to 80. But occasionally she'll get to 110, 120. Occasionally she'll go a little bit bigger than that, but it's usually I think that she gets on something and, and that takes her out beyond that. But will she make a consistent swing in the woods at 120? No, not yet. Um, am I hoping she will? Maybe not 120, but 100. I'd like it. I'd like that. I'm like really. I'm like really not sure yet, to be honest with you, just how far out she is. Because what where I want her to be. Because I'm also looking at. I'm really interested in running her in some uh, grouse trials. I ran her in one this last fall, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm going to do it again this spring. And that requires a little bit different. Um, there's a difference between it and hunting. That's a whole other topic that we'll get into, but. That's, but that's all part of it that's played into this question of yours. Because I'm, and I'm, I'm relaying you my ideas with my personal stuff. This is what you have to ask yourself. And if you asked me this question a year ago, I'd have probably a different answer because I'd have, I wouldn't have the experience I have with the setter. I'd have told you what I wanted. And it's not a year ago what I thought I wanted isn't what I want today. And so. I think depending on what your experience level is, Bruce, with dogs, it's really hard for you and I'm going to I'm going to ask you to not close your mind to say this is what I want unless you really know what you want. I'm going to I'm so so how do you find out what you really want? Well, you got to try it. And so hunting with more people. So 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 number 2 I can't give you that answer. Number two is a question that leads into number three. So let's go to number three. So, uh, well, before we do that, I'll wrap up. So you said, uh, am I crazy for potentially passing over pointing breeds for a grouse dog? Maybe, depending on what style of hunting you want to do, depending on what your desires really are. And if you don't know what they are, I think you have to try to figure it out and make a decision on it. Like, let's go into number three, because I think this will all kind of tie together. Number three, a dog's a 10 to 15 year proposition. I'll likely have one to two remaining in my life, your age 58, it says. There are so many breeders out there, it's overwhelming. They all think their dogs are the best, regardless of what you say your needs or expectations are. My guess is, that as a trainer, you have to be very careful offering recommendations on breeders. That's true. I don't recommend any breeders. I don't recommend breeders because I don't want anybody to come back to me and say, but you said, no, no, no. I will recommend breeders to reach out to and find out more about. I will never recommend litters, puppies, or breeders to go get a dog from. It has to be a decision that you make. So, and you say, I get that. But how about a directional nudge? I can't give you a directional nudge to any one individual. Well, I guess I could, and I maybe will as this goes on. But it's not to nudge you to get a dog from someone. It's to nudge you in a direction of, these are places I would dig into, and for these reasons. That doesn't mean that the places I don't say to dig into aren't good, and it doesn't mean that the places I say to dig into are good. It means they're places that I have maybe some experience with and can give you some direction as far as you should investigate them yourself because the key is in my opinion and this is what I'm really coming to this is where it's really like interesting to me because this is where some changes are taking place in my mind in my actions and it's been a, a slow development and process for me so I'm going to say it's more so in the last five years and it will be more so in the next five years than it was 10 years ago and 15 years ago and 20 years ago. And it's for various reasons. But I used to say and think that certain dogs were good and certain dogs weren't good. And, and that's breeds, it's lines, it's 
styles, it's particular puppies out of litters. Like I've come to this under this realization that I was very wrong with that. There's no such thing as a bad one. There's not, there aren't bad breeders. I'm never going to call someone a bad breeder. I'm not going to call someone, someone's dog, not a good dog or a bad dog. They might not be good breeders for me. They might not be good dogs for me, but that doesn't make them necessarily bad or wrong. It's just not the right fit for me. And some definitely are. And so when I look at that, me personally, I've become extremely selfish about that when it comes to dogs because I've come to realize just how valuable and important it is for me personally to train the ones that are the best ones for me, which is why a, a big time shift in my mentality has been, in, especially in the last five years, regarding breeding. I don't consider myself a breeder. I, I, by definition, I don't consider myself that. Now, that's I got accused. Uh, we did a podcast once of I'm not a breeder, and but we talked about some breeding stuff, and I had re, I had bred a litter not long before that. So the title of the thing was, I'm not a breeder. Well, we got a one-star rating on that podcast. If you look at our stuff, first off, I really appreciate people that give us ratings on the podcast. We got a one-star rating on that one. And the person said, you're not a breeder, but you just bred a, bred a litter. You're a hypocrite. You're a liar. Well, yes, you're right. Don't just read the title. Like, listen to the whole podcast and understand. So I am saying, now Ben did a nice job there of getting creative with the title of the podcast, trying to get some SEO stuff going on. and But so... Yeah, I'm not a breeder. I don't consider myself a breeder, but I do breed dogs. Okay, so yes, I, I'm contradicting myself there. Don't give me a one-star rating because of that. If you don't like the podcast, whatever, but not because of that. Here's the thing. I'm not a breeder in the sense of we're a kennel that breeds puppies to sell them to the public. It's not what we do. I want to train dogs. I love training dogs. I love training dogs that are the best fit for me. I've come to realize that I can produce it better than go find it. So there's, that's, the, that's the really short answer to it. It's because I know exactly what I want. It took me 20 years, close to it, and I'm still not 100% sure on it. But I'm so much closer to understanding it than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And I've realized how important it is for me to be able to control some of that. To really make it. Instead of like, I talked with a friend of mine. I've talked with a lot of friends about this recently. And I will continue to. And it's part of a topic that I'm writing about for Gundog right now. But it is exciting to me. But if you're, if the breeding mentality is simply good dog to good dog, get good dogs. It's one way of doing it. That's one way a lot of people do it. I think it's really risky because I think it's extremely like lottery ticket. Now, it's better than, I shouldn't say not good dog, but like it, if there's a dog with flaws, if there's a dog with issues and you're breeding it to a good dog without flaws, quote, when I say good, I don't mean, because I, I don't want to go back on this idea of good for me is not necessarily good for you. And good for you is not necessarily good for me. So I, I, I have to be very clear with that because I think there are a lot of people that I would say the, some of the best dogs I've worked with, some people would really not like. And they could be pros or they could be the most amateurs ever. They just they would not like the style of the dog, but it's the best for me. So when I say good, I mean desirable, not flawed, like genetic type stuff. So if you got a dog that is desirable and you breed it to another dog that's desirable the chances of getting puppies are that are desirable are higher if you breed a dog that's desirable to a dog that's not desirable has some flaws your chances are less of having the puppies become quote-unquote desirable if you breed two that are undesirable, have a lot of undesirables and you breed them together, your chances are even less of having the desirable. You still could get, you could breed two really undesirable dogs, quote unquote, that have flaws and get great pups. You could get that. There's a chance. It's a lot less than what the other scenarios were. So 
But I've also realized that me personally, and I don't want to get into, I don't want to turn this into a breeding thing because that'll come. But what I look at is there are so many variables in the breeding part of it that can and can't be influenced by us that should to the best of our ability from a breeding standpoint. When you start talking, it, it says here, um, you said they all were talking about there are so many breeders out there that it's overwhelming and they all think their dogs are the best. They should. Like, I don't think that that comes as a, as a surprise and I think they should. They should mean it though. This is where the idea of marketing versus bullshitting comes in. So you have to, as the person searching it out, I, that's where I think the equation, the part of the equation that is so important is the train, is the breeders. You shouldn't just take someone's word for they're the best dogs. How come? What's Explain it to me. Give me the reasoning. Give me the vision. Give me the direction of what you're trying to accomplish with the dogs. Is it because this one's good and this one's good? Okay, what is your definition of good? What is, can you see, can you see, Anything that has historically proven itself from other litters. Like, can you, can you, Bruce, go see some of puppies out of previous, is it a, is it a, is it a repeat breeding? Where are some of those puppies? Go see some. Go talk to the people that own them. If the kennel themselves kept one, what do they think about it? Can you see it? You can learn an awful lot. So there's so much, there's so much value in the paper and I'm studying paper a lot. But what I, what I also realize is, there's only so much value in the paper because the dogs themselves are so important. So I think that you need, once you decide what breed it is, are you going flushing lab or are you going pointing breed? And if so, what pointing breed? And if so, with who, where, the kennel, the kennels themselves, understanding what the owners describe them as and then go see it. I know it's a lot of work, but you just said it yourself. You, it's a 10 to 15 year proposition and you might have one or two left in your lifetime. It's worth you putting that effort into it now. Or you could look at it as stop at the gas station and pick up a lottery ticket. I don't want to roll the dice on a 10 to 15 year commitment that I might have one or two left in my life on the idea of it's a, a one in so many chances of winning. So right now, I think the answer is is there, you asked this question, just like field lines and shorelines, is there such thing as upland lines and waterfall lines? With retrievers, I don't know that there's necessarily waterfall lines and upland lines. I think that, like I have in my house, I have three labs. Uh, one is mother-daughter and one is distant cousin, Ellie. And now I had Blue and Blue was father-son. So up until last week, I had four labs under my roof. And would I say that of the four of the four of them was one of the was if I had to pick which one is the better upland dog? Yeah, I think it's Spry. I think she's built for it a little bit better. She's lighter. She's more agile. She's got a little more energy. Um, her person, she got. They all have great noses, but her nose works better in an upland quartering flushing type situation. I think if I were going to go duck hunting with a dog, I'm taking either. Taylor or Ellie right now. And it's probably a coin flip. Depending on the conditions would probably dictate which dog I'm bringing. A little tougher conditions, I'm taking Ellie. She's a little bit more athletic. She's a little bit stronger dog. She's a little bit more, she's got more grit to her. She's got more, more go. She can go through a lot more. If you watch some of our old videos of duck hunts, she's the one that claws her way across the ice and breaks through to make sure she gets that, that Drake Mallard and brings it back. Where Taylor... Not only is she a little bit older, which she is, but she's a little more delicate. She's a little slower. So like in a situation of if you if you said to me, which dog should I take duck hunting? I'd probably send you Taylor. Because Taylor, if you don't know my two dogs, you have a better chance of success with Taylor. Because Taylor is very forgiving. Taylor is the dog that is certified therapy dog and goes into the hospital and goes to the schools and works with the kids with my wife like she's just a very she makes everybody look good you come to a handler's workshop and you need to do some advanced stuff with dogs and your dog's not up to it we give you taylor because she'll make you leave here feeling like you're a dog handler she's just a big she's very very easy to get good results with and ellie is probably a little bit more 
touchy where you have to have the right feel with her to get the best results. And if you don't, she's, she may not perform that well for you. She may start to doubt and question you. She may not go for you because she doesn't believe you. So that's not a bad thing either. For me, it's great. I love it. I like working Ellie the most because I feel like she's a little sportier. She's a little, she's a little more exciting to work. But for a person that doesn't know her, it, that wouldn't be the best combination. So I do think that your question of, is there some better upland lines and better waterfall lines? I think so. But don't just ask them because that their definition or reasoning or explanation could be very different from what you A, think of it, think it might mean, and B, what you actually want to see out of the dog. Like it might be, like I watched a, I watched a series. This is a, this is a, a kind of a rabbit hole, but there was a, a, a video series. There's 10 videos that I bought years ago. I've talked about them a little bit. It's called Life of a Gun Dog. Mike Tallamy and Sarah Gad did it. Um, they're in the UK. It was a great series. Uh, they trained four littermates um, for multiple reasons. I was interested in it, but they trained four littermates and they had one female and three males. And it was very clear to me in that series that the female was not preferred. Um, I can't think of what her name, Philly, I think was her name. And this little Philly dog was just not a good fit for them. Or, and it wasn't even for them. I think she, Sarah Gad, used the dog. And I didn't. I just didn't sense the connection there. Like, not that, the, not that she wasn't connected to the dog, but it wasn't the best fit. I don't think she liked the dog nearly as much as some of the males. Me personally, as I watched that video, the little female was my favorite one. I think my personality and hers meshed would have meshed best. I would have taken her. If you had all four of those dogs at the end, I would have picked her. And, but that's because she would have been the best fit, I think, for me. So it just, it just kind of, you have to, Bruce, you have to look at this as you understand it as the commitment that it is. You understand that you got... Uh, you might have one or two left, put all this extra effort into it to get the right one. And the person that's listening to this that's 23 years old and is going to have several dogs before they're done, I my advice is the exact same to you. I can't stress that enough that I don't think dogs should be knee-jerk decisions. I don't think they should be I'm, I'm going to get a dog, go get the, I need to go get the dog right now. Like I put five years into Makina, five years. For the first three years, it was research, research, research. For two years, I looked and talked to breeders and it was partially because of timing. Those first three years, I, I, even if I had found the right one, I probably wouldn't have got it. It was, didn't fit for us. It wasn't the right time. But the last two if I had gotten, if I had been able to get her or get the right, what I felt was the right dog two years earlier, I would have probably done it because it would have worked, but it didn't work and it wasn't the right. And once I found the right litter, once I found the right kennel, they have very limited litters and I was, you know, they didn't have enough puppies and then I was onto the next litter I was onto the next litter. I, I had the opportunity to take a male, I think twice, once for sure, I think twice. But the first, the, se the, the one that I could have took and got a for sure puppy out of it, I could have taken a male, would have been like a couple weeks earlier than her. And I realized like, well, I have a chance at either getting, the, the pups weren't born yet. So I could either wait and hope for a female or I'd have gotten a male out of that one. So instead of taking the for sure male out of the first one, I decided, you know what, I'm going to wait. I really would like to get a female. And I'm really glad I did. And I'm really glad I got the litter I got. And so there's nothing wrong with the other litter, but this is the one I wanted. And it worked out great. And so I think that you have to look at this as you understand the importance of it. You understand the um, commitment that it is. Don't cheat yourself on the process of it. So... You know, a directional nudge to specific breeders, well, I can talk to the ones, I mean, I can I can speak to the ones that I know, like Northwoods Bird Dogs for Setters. I just, I don't know that I'll ever go anywhere else. I just, I, I, maybe, I might, but right now, 
I would, it would only be if they said, no, I don't have a dog for you and I can't get you one. Like, I'm just so pleased with their dogs and, and them as, as the way they handle their business, the, the friendship that we've developed, um, the culture that they've built surrounding their group of people that buy puppies from them. Like, I'm just really happy. So I can speak really highly to that. They might not be the right place for you though, Bruce, because their dogs run kind of big. They, I would say their dogs are not cl- close working. And when I say that, it is a rel- total relative term. It may be close in comparison to other setters. It may be close, but I wouldn't quote unquote call them close working dogs that you're going to see all the time because they're just not built to do that. But they're also not going to be um, necessarily what I would say is uh, if you're into horseback trials and you want to run five, four, five, six hundred yards with your dog, maybe these would do it. I, I don't think that's their specialty. I don't think that's, you know, do they have the capability of doing it? Probably if you know how to get it out of them and you have the right situation. Like, I don't know where you live. I mean, if you lived out on the prairie and you raised the dog on the prairie, would the dog run a little bit bigger? Probably, I suppose. But I can't say that for sure. But, um, are there other good setter breeders out there? I'm sure there are. I've stu- I'm studying them now. I'm I'm googling and watching online and doing all sorts of stuff. But so th- there's one that I could say. Um, as as far as the labs go, there's so many of them. I I think you gotta. I think I would reach. You know, it's a, it goes back to this idea of you should reach out to as many of them that you're interested in, and ask them. What is your goals with your dogs? What is your what? Is, what do they match and align? And then go see them. Go see mom and dad. Go see some of those puppies. Talk to some of the people that have puppies from them. Um, take it with a grain of salt because you know they're going to tell you that they're the best. And maybe they are the best for them. Are they the best for you? That's the question. But um, Bruce, I think you're on. I think just the amount of time you put into this question what's the, the the context of what's in this question I think you're I think you're on the right track um, but you need to answer a lot of these questions for yourself and I was a, I, I did my best to try to share some of my personal stuff with you so that you could have an understanding of how I rationalize the decisions myself which aren't the questions themselves aren't that far off of yours especially over the years some of these questions that you've asked, are exactly what I asked myself. And di- some of it I did know and some of it I, I did not know. Some of it I still don't know. But that's that's kind of the cool part about it too. Um, I'm learning as I go and I'm continuing to kind of add information to it. Getting better. I, I really believe that. And so it's a combination of a lot of reasons, but um, I hope it helps, Bruce. I'm going to send you an email, let you know that this is recorded. I know Ben is after me to get him a podcast, so I will give him this one. It went a little bit longer this time, guys. Um, Apologize for that, but appreciate your listening. A happy new year to you. Coming off of the holidays, um, I'm not a motivational speaker, but I can tell you this. I'm I'm motivated about this coming year. I, I, I went through some hard times this last year, and I'm sure whoever you are listening right now can say the same. I'm not going to give you a bunch of uh, blown smoke and rainbows and unicorn BS. It, we all have struggles and we have things that we're going through. What I would say is keep that in mind for other people. Like I can get, I can get pretty short at times and I can you know be pretty non-understanding of other people's shortfalls. And I, I, I require those around me to be held to a really high standard. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I change that, but I also think I have to do a better job of realizing somebody could be going through some really tough stuff and I know nothing about it. Because there were times this year that I was going through, and there are, there's stuff I'm going through right now that's really tough for me. And people around me don't always know it. And so I would ask you to continue to, to keep that in mind. So best of entering into this new year to all of you. And I appreciate your support with this podcast and I appreciate your patience with it because uh, we're going to continue to do it. And and I've got some pretty exciting things for this year that I'm, I'm looking forward to um, sharing with you as the year goes on. So good luck to you guys in your training. 
uh, and we will continue to do this. Thank you.